I can lower the mic if you want to, or you can mess with it right there. Is that good? Okay. We're a couple of weeks into uh, a study in here on the uh, fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, verse 23. And uh, I was been asked, uh, Todd Brenneman asked me if I would talk about peace. And... Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, we'll open in, in just a minute uh, with a word of prayer um, and, then, and then get into this. There's really, there's really two parts, um, I think, to the lesson tonight. One is to examine um, three components of peace. I want to take a little bit of time to do that, maybe the, the first half of the study. And I'm going to be borrowing heavily from Cecil's uh, book, Bible Questions and Answers. He talks about that in a, in a question, in a response to a question in there. And then there's two case studies that I want us to look at. Uh, one, let's, we'll, we'll look at um, John the Baptist and the question of peace. And then we'll look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and... Uh, and, and, and see where peace fits into that um, difficult situation as well. Let's, um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me, please? I would love this to be a dialogue. If, uh, if, you, if you just want to raise your hand, I won't, I won't push any closer to sort of the middle here so, so that I can see all you guys. Um, but if you have something to say, please raise your hand, and I'll at least get close enough where you can uh, take the mic or, or, whether, or I, I can uh, rephrase for everybody to hear your thoughts. Um, this is, it would be a lot better, uh, uh, not the least for me, but I think for you as well, if this is a discussion rather than a lecture. So, uh, so speak up if there's something that you'd like to contribute. Uh, Peace, I think the, probably the big, the big takeaway um, for tonight, well, so we'll begin there, is that peace does not depend upon our circumstances. Peace is not a promise or a guarantee that God is going to spare us uh, in this life from any suffering, from any pain, or, uh, or, or for any of the, the difficult consequences um, that exist in this world. So it has to be something else, and we'll look at, we'll look at what it is. Uh, Brother May describes in Bible questions and answers, it's, it's interesting, it's a response to a question that uh, the question will, will imply the date of writing. I think it was a couple of years after the attacks on September 11th. But somebody wrote in, there's a war in Iraq, Afghanistan, Haiti, there is war in Iraq, Afghanistan, Haiti, and Libya. On September 11, 2001, our country was viciously attacked, and we still feel at war. Political campaigns are virtual culture wars. Our children are involved in drugs and sexual liaisons that offend our sensibilities and violate the laws of God. In church, we are in the midst of worship wars, yet we sing, peace, perfect peace. Where can this peace be found? And... The first thing that uh, Dr. May does is to identify three different kinds of peace um, 
as explained in the Bible. And I think it would be a good idea if we start there. Um, would, would somebody, uh, I'll give a couple of scriptures here and then we'll go through these. Would somebody go to Romans chapter 5? Romans 5. And we're going to begin looking at verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Yeah, and, and we probably could read on there, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Thank you, Mr. Tommy. The, the, the first, and, and, and I think uh, Cecil would agree, the primary... Uh, type of faith that is expressed in the Bible is, uh, or peace rather, is, uh, or is, is peace that we can have with God, a peaceful relationship with God. And the detail here is, is, is pretty explicit. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The implication, of course, and we see this throughout Romans chapter 5, and we see it in Romans chapter 6 as well, is that all of us have sinned, and in sinning we separate ourselves from God. The, the, you know, God can't abide in sin. And since He cannot and won't abide in sin, what we, the things that we do when we sin separate ourselves from God. And that in order, in order for us to be uh, reconciled to Him, required a, a sacrifice. God provided the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. But notice it says here that, that through that process, through that reconciliation, as Paul explains here in 5 verse 1, that in, if we've been justified, um, then that relationship is restored, and in knowing that's restored, we have peace. So, so the, the, the first sort of the, the, the primary, and, and, the, and the other two uh, expressions of peace in the Bible are going to be extensions of this peace with God. But the first and foremost is, is this idea of um, because we can be saved from our own sin, because we can be reconciled with God, we are entitled to having a relationship to be restored with Him, and that should give us great comfort, that should give us the freedom of guilt that we would otherwise be bound to have. And, that, and, and, and so being freed of that gives us not just sort of peace of mind, but literally a reestablishment of the relationship with God, and inherently there is peace in that. That's a, that's a great and, and beautiful thing. The, the second one, the extension of that, we can't have this one without the first, but is peace within the brotherhood, and, and so it, within the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think this is an important, maybe this might be an idea that as Christians, I, I mean, I have to admit myself that I'm not sure that I have developed as fully this concept as I should. Because if I recognize that the expectation, that the, that the establishing of the church and that to, to be in brotherhood with sisters and brothers in Christ 
means that we have not only the, the op opportunity, but also the obligation to be at peace with each other. And that really should inform our conduct. It should inform our attitudes, and it should inform our relationships with each other. We, we are, as we'll read here in a minute, first and foremost, first and foremost, we are sisters and brothers in Christ. And if we're sisters and brothers in Christ, that should imply peaceful living, peaceful relations with each other, and a peaceful attitude towards each other in order to strengthen, in order to edify, in order to glorify the church. Let's look at, let's look at that for a minute. Uh, Ephesians 2. Turn, turn there with me if you would. And let's look at verses 14 through 16, please. Can I get somebody to read that good and loud? Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 16. It's, it's really interesting, as, as uh, Brother Cecil explains in, in the Bible questions and answers, that this divide between Jews and Gentiles was, is perhaps the, one of the strongest historical expressions of prejudice and, and discrimination and separation in the history of mankind. Um, I mean, there, it, it, is, it is a divide characterized by loathing, and disrespect and hate. And, and as we read here in 14 through, verses 14 through 16 of Ephesians 2, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Notice, we know that he's talking about Jews and Gentiles because of verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So it's a clear... Uh, uh, instruction written here in, in Ephesians to the Jews and the Gentiles not simply to get along not to abide each other not to tolerate but to love each other and be at peace with each other out of, out of not simply good intention but a complete recognition that your brother is saved just like you are saved there is really nothing that, that, that matters beyond that I really want to read sort of word for word from, from Cecil's response here um, because I think, I think it really helps accentuate the point that he was trying to make and the point that I want to reiterate in this part of the study. He says, in the world, there are still enmities, hatreds, ancient and modern, black versus white, Jew versus Palestinian, rich versus poor. In Christ, however, this is such a key Praise. Please, please hear this one. In Christ, however, it is more significant that we are Christians than that we are black or white. As Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Publican were melded into one as apostles of Christ, so people of every nation, tribe, class, color, language, and political party become one in him. I wonder, do we subordinate any ideas of difference 
Do we subordinate those things, make them less important than the fact that we are one in Christ? And if, and if we're not doing that, then we are infusing into the body of Christ something opposite than the peace that was intended to be shared liberally and was meant to dominate the church of Christ. And so I think, I think that's something that, that, that we should think about. And, and, and take it back to um, you know, the, the, the point of this series of studies on, for this series on Wednesday night is to examine from Galatians 5.23 the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we, should, we should think about it along those lines. But the fruits of the Spirit are, if, if the fruits of the Spirit include peace, then we should avail ourselves, all of us, to as much of that as we can. We should want peace upon us, and we should want peace upon our sisters and brothers in Christ, our sisters and brothers in the church. And so, uh, and so that's, that's aspect number two. So, just to review quickly, number one, the, the first piece spelled out in the Bible is, is the Christian's peace with God and God's, God's peace with the Christian. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The second point that is an extension from that is, is uh, women and men who are saved by the blood of Christ, one to another in the church, the peace of, of, the, of the brotherhood. And the last one, let's go to Philippians 4. Somebody read Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Did you mention the word peace? How is it implied? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think in some ways this is really... Um, this, this is so fundamental to what we're doing, sort of studying tonight about this and, and understanding this. The, the, the third aspect of peace is inner peace. We, we have peace with God, we have peace with, with the rest of the church, and we have inner peace. And notice, um, and you know, when I, when I referred you to Philippians 4, you probably, some of you thought, oh, he's going to say Philippians 4 7, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's, and that's certainly true and relevant to what we're talking about. But specifically, we read here in, in verses uh, 11, 12, and 13, this idea about, about learning to be content and recognizing that contentment, clearly, what, what, what Paul is saying here is that contentment is not contingent. It depends in no way on circumstance. 
whether well-fed, whether hungry, whether rich, whether poor. Um, so it has to mean something else. And so I think, I think what we'll do for a few minutes then, we may come back to this point. Uh, but I mentioned that we want to look at the three principles and then look at a couple of what I, what I would call case studies, two of them in particular, to try and get our arms around you know, a few of these, a uh, couple of these concepts. So the one that I want to start with is Matthew 11. I want us to look at, at John the Baptist. Turn, turn with me there if you would. We're going to read um, right at the beginning for several several verses here, um, but I want I want to set the scene here first, and and this is not chronological uh, because uh, Matthew is deliberately referring back in time when a couple of chapters later in Matthew 14 he describes what had happened before he changes verb tense into sort of the past tense. Um, he's talking about Herod, who, who thinks that Jesus might be the reincarnation of John the Baptist in verse 14, because John the Baptist is dead at, by, by chapter 14. And it says, and, he, and so Matthew explains the circumstances of Herod's death, of uh, John the Baptist's death. And most of us know this story. When Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias, Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. He promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king, of course, was, regret, was remorseful about that, but, but he had to keep his oath. He felt so, so he honored it, and, and John was beheaded. And so that, that happens in 14. We know then back in Matthew 11 that John is in prison. And so, and so that's where we begin. So two things to keep in mind. He's in prison, and we know that he's going to remain in prison until he is killed, until he's beheaded. And so I, th- I think, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's facts that we sort of can't get away from while we examine this situation. And it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And we know as the disciples went away, he had high praise for John the Baptist, saying that he was the greatest ever born of a woman. Okay. I want to ask, I want us to discuss sort of this episode. We, we, I mentioned that John the Baptist is dead just a couple of chapters later. He's beheaded. He spends the rest of his life in prison. He asks this question about, are you the one or is there another? What does Jesus do for John the Baptist? He doesn't save his life. 
He doesn't get him out of prison. What does John the Baptist get from Jesus here in in Matthew chapter 11? Reassurance. Okay? Hope. Okay? Say it again. True rest. Can, Can you explain what you mean by that, Reagan? He gave him true rest at the end of his life. Okay? Um, Let's peel that onion back one more layer. What did he give him that would give him hope, true rest, and and your comment, uh, and reassurance? He, He... he demonstrates, he, and it's funny, right? Because Matthew isn't the gospel that relies on the miracles to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the gospel of John. Um, this, this gospel that was primarily written for the Jews uses the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture and, and fulfillment of prophecy as a demonstration that Jesus is who he is. But here you have a moment where Jesus himself says, just behold the miracles. Miracles that, that I claimed in my name um, that are more unusual, more extreme, and more fantastic than others that have been performed in the past. And, and he even enumerates a few of those. And says, basically, how much more proof do you need that I am, in fact, the Son of God? And then, and then really saying, it, 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 the, the insinuation here about, um, blessed is he who is not offended because of me is saying even though he's poor and in, a lone, and, in a, and in a lowly state here on earth, if you're willing to see through that and recognize that I'm the Son of God, and if you're willing to honor me as the Son of God and, and obey my commands and my doctrine, you will be blessed. Blessed with eternal life. Blessed with salvation. Um, I think it could be argued that... that most of us are not going to find ourselves in circumstances, especially culminating, you know, ending our lives, um, quite as harsh and quite as awful as what John the Baptist is going through. And Jesus did not spare him from that fate in this world. What he did was give him a prism to be able to look into what the future held for those who are faithful in Jesus. And to assure him, give him that blessed assurance that we sing about, that when, when the sufferings in this life is over, uh, I'm, going to claim, I'm going to claim you. I'm going to claim you, and, and God is going to look at you without blemish. None of your sins are going to be held against you um, because of me for what, he, for what he was about to do in his own suffering and death. I think the episode here in, in Matthew 11 gives us gives us an inclination of what real peace is about. Real, real peace is not about sparing ourselves or being spared in any way from sort of the hardships of this world. It's the recognition and the understanding that we are spoken for by God because of Jesus. And that if, this, if that's the case, none, none of this other stuff at the end of, at the end of this life is, is, is going to matter 
or is really that important? It's, it's, uh, it's perspective, isn't it? When you think about it, peace is perspective. Did, did any of John's physical pain, perhaps his hunger and thirst, his sores from the chains, did any of those things go away? None of them. Jesus gave him perspective, and in giving him perspective, he gave him peace that the life after this was going to be an eternity with God because, because of John's willingness to follow Jesus. And, 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 if, and I think we need to think about that too as we go about our lives. Any other comments here? fantastic comment that if, 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 we, if we falsely ascribe God's wish for us to be content, happy, secure, um, and free from, you know, from, from any of the troubles in this world, um, not only are we missing the point, but, but secondly, we're going to find ourselves really disappointed from time to time. And, 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 and moreover, I think it's going to be hard to find any inspiration in our own lives or for anybody else who's paying attention. Because it's specific. I mean, did, did not Jesus himself say over and over again that, that becoming a Christian literally means taking up your own cross, for example, suffering hardship, you know, uh, rejoicing your sufferings. You know, remember, if the world hates you, it hated me first. None of those things sound like good deals, do they, really? None of those things sound like being, being happy, being comfortable, being rich. None, none of those things fit that. If we think that peace means uh, blessings of comfort, uh, then we are categorically missing what this is about. God's peace and, the, and this inner peace that's an extension of it is quite literally the understanding of God's providence and that we are spoken for by the blood of His Son and that because we're spoken for by Christ's blood that was shed on the cross, because, because we have accepted that in, in the plan of salvation to include being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, because of that, we are back in a good relationship with God. We don't have our sins accounted, accounted against us. And that, and that what that should do is not necessarily trivialize these hardships. Look, when I hurt, I hurt. You know, and, and, and you know, if, if, if tragedy happens in the family, that's going to be, that's going to be painful. But, but, but even when we're going through that kind of hardship or, or you know, terrible pain, we, we can know that, that God is in control of all things and that, and that we have a blessed hope with him when we're done with this world that is the only place that we have to live where we're subjected to these kind of things. I thought, when, when we were looking at this, I, I thought immediately 
of It Is Well With My Soul. Um, pull out the songbooks there in front of you for a minute and just look at 345. Most of, you, most of you have heard this story. Um, for any of you that, that were in uh, arts singing class on Wednesday nights back uh, a few months ago, you heard it there, uh, perhaps again. Uh, I think it's Horatio Spafford, the, the, the author, the, who wrote the lyrics, wrote these in the middle of the night on a ship crossing over the point in the ocean where another ship had sunk weeks before, killing his wife and both of his children. And, and, and so he was out in the dark of the night looking into basically the waters where, where his family was buried at, at sea. And, and he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And, and, and that's not the end of the song. And, and, and we understand that um, to me, verse 1 has a little bit of a, a Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away sort of sensibility to it. And, and that's okay. But the one that just really, really uh, connects for me is verse 2. I'm sorry, in this book it's verse 3. Verse 3. I mean, listen to these words. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to His cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I can't imagine that that man, who has a heart soft enough to write something like that, could have gone the rest of his life on earth without struggling um, in the, in the loss of his wife and his children. It's, it's hard for me to imagine that. But the hope and the assurance and the comfort that he gets from verse 2 and the promise of being with them in an eternity puts into perspective. Remember I said peace is a perspective. Think about the perspective that he has that even in this sorrow, God is in control of all things. I mean, we, we don't know what could have been uh, the counterfactuals. Perhaps the children would have grown up and not committed themselves to the Lord. That would probably be, over the course of a lifetime, even more devastating for a Christian than ones that had, than, than, than losing them, say, in a, in, a, in a terrible boat tragedy. I don't know. But peace is not circumstantial. Peace is what helps us navigate the circumstances, whatever they are. And, and, it, and, it, and it's, it truly is, when you think about it that way, it's an incredible gift. It's an absolutely incredible gift. Any other, any other thoughts or comments? Somebody had said something earlier, I think. true. Yeah. 
the greatest man by Jesus' own claim that ever lived, did not ask for his situation to be improved. He just wanted to know that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and, he, and he got the answer to that, and that gave him the peace that he needed to spend the rest of his days. Um, we could say as a prisoner, or we could say honoring God with his life, which is what put him in prison in the first place. And so it's, it really, I mean, the word, the word awesome is so, you know, pizzas are awesome these days, right? But, that, but that's a really awesome thought. In the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the truest sense of the word, it is an awesome thought. Um, any other thoughts? So it's an incredible segue, um, let, but yeah, we, we're talking about that Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that not my will, but thy will be done. And this is, this is kind of where I want to finish the study, is thinking about Jesus in the Garden. And um, I want to propose to you that, that this, is, this is a moment in Jesus' life, this, this is hard to think about. But I'm going to propose to you that the Prince of Peace, you know, Jesus himself had, had no peace in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's why, that's why he was struggling like he suffered. Let, 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 let's read through this and see if we can um, examine this together. Um, and, and, of course, it's, it's, it's covered extensively uh, in, in the Gospels. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter 22. I want us to use that gospel. But, but we're also going to look back at, at Matthew 26. So Luke 22 for now. Uh, verses 39 through 46. Anybody with a really loud voice want to venture to read that for everybody? of things going on here. Um, notice uh, he kneels down and prays, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay? And, and he has to be strengthened by an angel um, because of what he's going through at this moment. 
And it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat came like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Um, I want to cross-reference for just a moment Matthew 26, verse 38. Matthew 26, verse 38, same moment. Notice he says here, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Um, What has got Jesus in such sorrow and pain at this point? Um, I had always, I think like, like many, had always uh, assumed that it was, it was um, the crucifixion that's about to happen. That, that, that he's going to suffer like a man with, with godly understanding of what's about to happen and that knowing that he is going to hang on the cross, knowing that he's going to be scourged, knowing that he's going to be, you know, um, cut to ribbons with the scourging within an inch of his life before he, that, that, I mean, it's just the most extraordinary, horrific, painful thing that he's going to go through. That, that it's that which is, um, which is causing him to, to grieve so terribly here in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it could be the betrayal, okay? Um, I think you're right, Mr. Tommy. And but, but let's complete that. You're right. He was tempted like we were, but he did not sin. And yet, as, as we know, right, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. The, 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 this moment of, of, of Jesus' crucifixion Remember we said at the beginning, the peace that we have in God from which, from which extends our, our peace in, in the fellowship and our inner peace is predicated on the reality that our relationship with God is, is reestablished. We're reconciled, consiled back to God because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Right? Because in our sinful state, in our sinful state, we couldn't be in, in God's company. God cannot abide in sin. God cannot abide with sinners. And so if Jesus, if God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that means Jesus is about to take on not his own sin, not some of the sin. For all of mankind, he's taking on the sin of the world. 
And if he's going to take on the sin of the world, then he has to be he has to be separated from God. This is the Son of God who has existed with God, who created the, the earth uh, and the things in it according to John 1. And he is going to be separated from God for you and me. Uh, and, and I think it helps explain why instead of saying, I'm not trying to sound smart-alecky, instead of saying this really hurts when he's hanging on the cross, that's not his his cry is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knows why God forsook him. He was forsaken because God has to turn his back on, it, on the sacrifice of sin because sin means you are separated from God. If he's, going to, if he's going to sacrifice him for the cost of sin, then he's going to be treated during, during this period of time as if he was a sinner, as if, he was the, as if he was the only sinner, right? Since he's paying for your and my sins. And I think it's a, it's a humbling realization, for me at least, to realize that there's a moment in Jesus' life where he doesn't have peace. Why? Because he is separated from God. And why is he separated from God? So that I don't have to be. It's an extraordinary thing. And, and, I, and I think that, that in some ways then we come back around full circle, right? Right? We, we, get to come, we get to come right back full circle, which is probably good because we're out of time almost. But circumstances don't matter. And what I'm going through in my life um, isn't as important as the fact that I've been saved by Jesus' blood. It's just not that important. And, and you know, I can have super highs and I can have super lows in my life. What needs to be consistent in my life throughout is that I recognize and I am deeply connected to the reality that because Jesus paid for my sins, I have, I have been united with God both for now and for eternity. And that has to be more important than anything else. Um, I want to close with one verse, Romans 8.28, where I am convinced neither life, I'm sorry, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8.38. If you think about this verse in light of what we've talked about tonight, kind of building on the deconstruction that Cecil gave us in his book, I think Romans 8.38 is all about peace. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from, from God. Why? Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And that reality should give us a sense of peace and a sense of calm and that blessed assurance that we sing about from time to time. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer and we'll be dismissed.